Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. Now, sometimes we use the phrase, seeing is believing. And if that's the case, we're kind of at a disadvantage when it comes to meeting Jesus in the scriptures. We use our ears to hear the stories about his life and his, his teachings, and we listen to scriptures read aloud. Then we have to engage our imaginations to picture those particular scenes. But visual learning can help us connect with those stories and those teachings. If we use our eyes to strengthen our biblical witness. So today I'm gonna enlist a couple of wonderful artists to help us as we explore the story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. The first artist painted about 100 years ago. The second, a sculptor, is more contemporary. But neither one of these artworks is completely realistic. They're more than mere illustrations like the old Sunday school pictures a a lot of us may remember. These two artists use their interpretive gifts to approach the story from a surprising and maybe even startling angle. Excuse me, the first image is called Christ and the Samaritan Woman. As you can see it there, it's painted by a a modern Polish artist, Jacek Malkiewski. It was one of the several the artist did based on this particular story. This is only one of several, again, based on this story. The painting's old-fashioned. The two figures look like early 20th century Polish folks. The face of Jesus, if you look at it, that's actually a self-portrait of the artist. Malczewski was fond of painting himself into his pictures. And here he's wearing an artist's smock, and if you look to the the left, you'll see uh, an umbrella hook, and on top of that hook is a hat. That's a straw hat, just over the left a little bit. I know, it took me a while to find it too, but it's there, it's there. As for the Samaritan woman, she looks more like a, a Polish peasant, dressed as though she was going to the well to draw water. There's something unusual, though, about this painting, Jesus is facing away from the woman. She appears to be taking the initiative in talking with Jesus, and he appears to be listening, but they're not making any eye contact. This kind of reflects an important detail of of the story. Culturally speaking, these two people are very different. You can see this difference, of course, and hear it in the story, and the line that the woman speaks is, Jesus as they soon meet and he asked the woman to give him a drink of water and she responds with astonishment. How is it that you would you ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? John provides a little helpful footnote that Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. That's a bit of an understatement. Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other at all. Supposedly the two nations worshiped the same God but apart from that They were from two completely different tribes. Of course, there's a better known story of a Samaritan, right? Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan. An essential detail of that story, as well as this one, what I'm calling the story of the other Samaritan, is the historic hatred between these two peoples. Who were these Samaritans and where did they come from? 
They're the remnant of the former northern kingdom of Israel. In the days after the kingdom of David and his son Solomon, the nation split into two and under two different kings. The northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. A few generations later, the Assyrians invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom managed to fend off the Assyrians. But in doing so, they failed to come to the aid of their cousins in the north. You can only imagine what resentment that might have caused. It planted seeds of hatred that continued centuries later in Jesus' day. A few generations after the fall of Samaria, it was the Judeans' turn to suffer. A new empire, Babylon, had defeated the Assyrians. This time the Judeans went down to defeat. Their national leaders carted off to exile in Babylon. The Babylonian captivity of the Jews lasted only a few generations and those exiled came back to a ruined nation. Their new king, Ezra, set out to rebuild the temple, restoring Judah's ancient worship practices. By this time, the religion of the Samaritans had evolved into a very different direction. The temple in Jerusalem, rebuilt or not, held no attraction for them. They worshiped God on the top of Mount Gerizim. That's what the woman was referring to when she spoke the line, our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. She's emphasizing the difference between her and Jesus. So you go back to the painting. The two are communicating, just not face to face. It seems like an awkward encounter because of the great cultural differences between them. Of the two people in the painting, Jesus seems the most hesitant. There's an expression of warm interest on the woman's face. It's Jesus who seems a bit standoffish in the painting. And that might be true to the biblical story. True, Jesus speaks first, asking her to give him a drink of water. But after that, it's the woman who takes the initiative. This is so very different from another encounter Jesus had that John had finished telling about in chapter 3. It's the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. The man to whom he famously said, you must be born from above. In that story, it's pretty much a, a one-sided exchange. Nicodemus seeking Jesus out, asking him a question or two. Then Jesus does most of the talking. John's placement of these two stories, one right after the other, is very deliberate. He wants to hold up one against the other, so we compare the two. On the one hand is an encounter between Jesus and a very learned leader of the Jewish people. On the other is his encounter with a woman, a foreigner, a nobody to the Jews. The exchange between that Samaritan woman and Jesus is entirely different from the way he talks to Nicodemus. There's a real give and take between these two, a fully developed conversation rather than a one-sided lecture with Nicodemus. It speaks of Jesus' high regard for the Samaritan woman. He's more than happy to give her the time of day, even though the traditions of both of their cultures dictated that they should avoid each other at all costs. You can see that at the end of the story when John tells us how Jesus' disciples were. They were astonished that he was speaking to a woman. One of the exceptional things about this painting is that it debunks a certain doubtful interpretation of the Samaritan woman, one that portrays her as a woman of, of low virtue or a social outcast. 
The artist gives the barest hint of this with the placement of the two wooden water jars. They're strategically located to emphasize the woman's body. There's no factual basis, though, for, for judging the woman to be a social outcast. I mean, in fact, at the end of the story, it's clear that the woman at the well has plenty of friends to whom she can run and offer her testimony. It doesn't seem like she's living in shame, as some have concluded. Malczewski's painting reflects no such illusion of that being an outcast. Just look at the way he uses light in this picture. The whole scene is bathed in golden sunlight. This woman is curious about Jesus, and she seems more than able to engage him in any kind of conversation about faith or God and discussion in the full light of the sun. Jesus, for his part, after some initial hesitation, credits her as an honest spiritual inquirer. He spends a lot more time talking with her than he does with his nighttime visitor in chapter 3, Nicodemus. The fact that this meeting happens at high noon symbolizes exactly that. The themes of light and darkness are very important to John. Throughout his gospel, he portrays Jesus as the light, pushing back against the darkness. Pharisees like Nicodemus are in the dark, and they must come into the light. The Samaritan woman smiling back at Jesus in the, the golden light of midday is already a person who knows something of the light of God. And Jesus gives her credit for that. There's a warmth and a, and a brightness about this painting that shows how any truth seeker who honestly and openly comes to Jesus will receive the light and the living water he offers. If you look at Jesus' left hand, look at his left hand, you'll see that his fingers are, are forming themselves into a traditional gesture of a blessing. It's as though he's about to turn around and offer her a benediction, if you will. Another interesting detail is that John tells us how the woman, once she fully realizes who Jesus is, leaves her water jar behind and goes off to tell all the neighbors. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Remember, this is a Samaritan and a woman, and her witness to Jesus is far more certain, far more bold than anything Nicodemus says in the previous chapter. The fact that she leaves her water jar behind is a powerful symbol. Who in the Bible leaves the tools of their trade behind to go and tell? It's the apostles who do that. Peter, James, and John, they left their nets. Matthew abandons his tax collector books. And Paul, who no longer wears the, the distinctive hat and robe of being a Pharisee. This Samaritan woman is an apostle. She proclaims Jesus as the Messiah long before any of his other disciples do. Our second work of art, next slide, is a contemporary sculpture called The Water of Life. It's a fountain created by the English sculptor Stephen Broadbent in 1994. He cast it in bronze for a courtyard in the ancient monastic cloister of the Chester Cathedral. And the fountain is located on the exact same site that served for centuries as the well for the monastery. 
The following words from verse 14 are carved around the bottom of the sculpture. Jesus said, the water that I shall give will be an inner spring always welling up for eternal life. In exchange for the water the Samaritan woman offers him, the Lord promises her living water. It's this prospect of living water that that draws her in, questioning Jesus further. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Think of how hard this woman's life was. She'd had five different husbands. We don't know if she had so many because she's widowed or because some of them divorced her. Maybe both of these things happened to her with different husbands. Far from being a a disreputable person, this woman is strong. She's a survivor. She has triumphed over difficult circumstances. If the man she's now living with is not her husband, Jesus does not judge her for that. He's far more interested in healing her pain. He seems to trust that she will repent and and do the right thing. And if she can get her heart right and confess him as Lord. You can see it in this sculpture. The two look directly at each other. The posture of their bodies is equal. But she is higher than he is. If anything, he's declining to claim the superior role as the teacher. Between the two of them is a bowl of water from which, because this sculpture is an actual working fountain, gushes a constant stream of water. Look at the position of the bowl. Both she and Jesus are holding it. Is she offering him a drink of water from the well? Or is he offering her the gift of living water. It's impossible to say, and that is so true to life because the two are so closely tied together. We promise to serve Jesus as disciples and he offers us living water in return. Or is it the other way around? Maybe he offers us living water first and then we serve him in gratitude. It doesn't matter because it's really two sides of the same coin. There's a constant give and take, a flow between disciple and teacher, between each of us and the one we claim to serve. The entire sculpture is a circle. You can sense this dynamic exchange between the two, this holy giving and receiving going on forever. In the Celtic tradition, the circle, that prominent feature of every Celtic cross, is a symbol of eternity. When we enter a relationship with Jesus Christ, we do so for eternity. It's that spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Let's switch to the next slide. One of the great things about visual art is it offers us so many different perspectives. We can come back time and time again in either of these pictures and see something brand new. The same is true with our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Living water continues to flow at the heart of that dynamic, powerful relationship, refreshing, restoring, and reviving. Maybe you've been feeling your spiritual life is a little dry lately. If that's the case, Jesus' invitation to the Samaritan woman holds for us as well. He continues to welcome the thirsty 
who are seeking the living water only he can give. Offer him in your outstretched hands the bowl of your servant heart. And he will supply you in exchange with an endless supply of living water. Amen.